Athletic Brewing. I cracked open an Upside Dawn Golden Athletic Brew. And let me say this, no matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor, it's athletic. Award-winning styles, it's athletic. Huge variety, it's athletic. Fit for all times. That's a registered trademark, guys. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere, without ever slowing down your summer. Beach days, music festivals, swim meets, camping, late nights, early mornings, literally wherever summer takes you. And here's the best part to me, zero hangovers the next day. Mm -hmm. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer or brew you need to know, Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. Starcast, the German football pod brought to you by The Athletic. In today's special edition, we look back at Bayern Munich's extraordinary treble-winning year with Patrick Strasser of Munich-based Abendzeitung newspaper. Patrick, welcome to the pod. 2020 for Bayern really started a couple of months early in November 2019 when Niko Kovac was fired after the five-win defeat against Frankfurt and Hansi Flick was named interim manager. Did you think that 2020 would turn out the way it did? Yes, of course. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody did. I mean, um, Hansi Flick was such a clever um, person to take as an assistant coach. I think that was really a good decision. Uli Hoeneß was the one who was forcing the club to go and ask Hansi Flick whether he can jump in as assistant coach. But after Kovac was sacked... But Uli Hoeneß yeah. also said that um, it was Niko Kovac's, Kovac's express wish to have Hansi Flick appointed. I'm not summer. so sure. <laughs> yeah, I, me think, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he just said it because uh, uh, that was clear that it's not going to be easy for Niko Kovac um, alongside with uh, Hansi Flick, such a such a mastermind uh, in terms of uh, tactics and uh, getting along with the players. So maybe that was like a, a hidden perspective uh, to appoint him as, as, as head coach. Although when you're talking about November 2019, they just gave him two matches in the beginning. So they weren't sure themselves whether it will work out or not. That is definitely true. But before we go into uh, what what Flick did right and how he became to be Bayern's proper manager, as it were, after that uh, good initial run, I think we need to maybe just have one or two lines on, on Kovac. Uh, Patrick, from someone based in Munich with your ear close to the ground, talking to players, talking to people in the club... Just how bad was the relationship by the time Kovac was fired between him and, and the squad? I remember it was really bad. The problem was the players didn't really trust uh, him and his, his style of play. Just wanted to play uh, not 
yeah, not very risky uh, time, uh, not very risky uh, in terms of offense and just uh, hiding a bit on the pitch, just waiting what the, the opponent is going to do. So that was not kind of Bayern style. Um, he, in my opinion, he was uh, after one year and several months, he was still coaching like he did in Frankfurt. So, oh, we have a, a difficult opponent. They are very strong. We have to wait and see on the pitch what happens. And um, the players, especially the likes uh, Thomas Müller, Robert Lewandowski, and all the other ones, uh, they didn't like that kind of style. They want to play what they have learned under uh, in past times. Louis van Gaal, uh, Jupp Heynckes, um, and uh, in these times where they attack, where they uh, dominate the match. And they didn't like it, and then uh, Kovac made a big mistake by uh, getting uh, Thomas Müller not in the right manner he should do. So he, he left him out for several games in October, I remember, and in the beginning of November, and that was one of the crucial points why he got sacked. Yes, and then, as you said, Hansi Flick was tasked with um, at least a couple of games. The, the first one came against Dortmund. Uh, in, a, in a key game, which he won very convincingly. 5-0, uh, I seem to recall, Bayern played played some really strong stuff. And then Bayern was still talking to one or two alternatives and, and maybe perhaps we're still not 100% convinced until the winter break. Would that be fair? Yeah. I mean, it's it's quite obvious that a club like Bayern Munich, they have to do it. I mean, they have to... Uh, get on the market and, and check and see what would be possible right now or next summer. So they were talking to some coaches, but Hansi Flick was uh, was the one like a joker they had. Um, and they then they said, okay, let's do it until Christmas. And then they were playing so good, so convincingly. Um, uh, the the squad was so happy with Hansi Flick, and and yeah, it was it was quite normal after a while that he's becoming head coach and in April this year I remember they they gave him a new contract and when we were talking about this new contract he's got a contract until 2023 so the doubts about him in the beginning they disappeared and suddenly they gave him such a long contract so they're they're very happy with him. Karl-Heinz Rummenigge the uh, executive chairman famously handing Hansi Flick a pan uh, for his <laughs> yeah. birthday after the game against uh, Chelsea, the first leg, which Bayern won 3 0 at Stamford Bridge, saying, right. Oh, you, you can sign contracts with with pens in, in Munich. But that still took took a couple of months um, for them to do so. That was back in February. But I just want to jump back quickly before mm -hmm. Hansi Flick was appointed uh, full time manager. I seem to recall um, speaking to you about. A story that was doing the rounds at the time that Bayern were very, very close to appointing Arsene Wenger as the new coach. Uh, what, what happened there, do you think? Well, I th there was a, a phone call between Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, uh, the CEO, and Arsene Wenger. But that was uh, quite funny afterwards because um, no one really said that it's going to be a, a serious talk. I mean, maybe they were just checking possibilities. And I don't really think it was a uh, would have been a clever option uh, to go and ask Arsene Wenger. 
maybe they would just wanted to find out if things uh, terribly go wrong with Flick in autumn or in in, in winter. So I'm not so sure. They they were talking to Eric Ten Hag from Ajax Amsterdam. So he was said to become the new manager, maybe in summer uh, 2020. But with Arsene Wenger, that was uh, well. I think Arsene Wenger was quite happy uh, to have his name in in the media again for such a big club like Bayern. Bayern uh, preventing him for for before he retires. And uh, Bayern, that was like this this reaction Bayern always has uh, asking for big names. You know, Raphael, they, they couldn't ask uh, Ottmar Hitzfeld again. They couldn't ask Jupp Heynckes again and again. So maybe that was like a, a reaction to ask Arsene Wenger. And then, and then they realized, no, it's not really a good idea. Yeah. And as you said, there's always been a clamor for a big name ever since I think Pep yeah. Guardiola left. Uh, Rummenigge in in particular has has lusted after another big superstar to arrive in Munich to perhaps provide a bit of glitz and glamour. And Hansi Flick, I think we've all admit to admit, didn't seem to be the right fit in that respect. No, no, of course. Because yeah. you and me, we would have seen him many years as the assistant coach of Joachim Löw, a very loyal guy who. I don't want to say it was hiding in the shadows, but made, made absolutely no attempt to be seen as one of the, the sort of the leaders of this team. Um, happy to do, you know, the, the unglamorous work with set pieces, um, always looking a little bit uncomfortable in front of the media. He didn't quite look like Bayern Munich potential. Yeah, that's true. I remember his uh, first press conference uh, back in November last year. He turned out and... Uh, he he gave us the impression yeah really that he has to do this job now he does it for for the club he he likes Uli Hoeneß very much he likes Bayern where he was playing in the in the 80s himself and he he, he gave us journalists the impression okay I'll do it for two games or even more if you want but after that I would be fine to go back and step back and be assistant coach again and, and I think or what I uh, have learned with Hansi Flick and, and uh, while I have been talking to him, he from from week to week and from game to game, he he even more liked uh, the possibility of, of of staying in in the front line position, being a head coach. So I think uh, over the winter last year, maybe he he invented himself quite new. So suddenly he realized, hey, I can do it. I can be the the new boss. And this is what I said before. Then, then I think it's quite astonishing that in the negotiations for for the new proper contract, he got a three-year deal. So the, he had made a, a good progress then in in getting a new personality in terms of coaching. Do you, Do you think? think he surprised himself a little bit? Even yeah, yeah, that's what I was, that he was trying able to, to tell. Do yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like I said, in the beginning, he was uh, quite calm and, and quite, yeah, okay, I can step back again. And after a while, he got uh, more and more confident and, and the team was backing him. And so, uh, yeah, in the beginning of 2020, then he suddenly said, we can win everything if we just want. We have the capability, we are strong enough. And, uh, yeah, he realized uh, the big chance he suddenly had. And... After several months, he was a travel winner coach. 
Indeed, he was. He he changed a couple of things, as you said. He brought back uh, Thomas Müller, which is always very important uh, at Bayern for all sorts of reasons, uh, both football and and political. He changed Bayern's game to have them once again pressing. Uh, they were playing also mm. some pretty beautiful position football, which perhaps has been lost a little bit in in the in the months since, but. There seemed to be a kind of a return to the principles of Jupp Heynckes and and Pep Guardiola, certainly in, in tactical sense. When did you get the feeling that this was going to have a really positive effect? Was it as early as that Dortmund game, or or perhaps was the the Chelsea game sort of the big test for this this new Bayern emerging under Hansi Flick? Well, I think let me think. To be honest, in the Dortmund game back in November was more an, an emotional reaction. To what happened before with uh, the matches, one of the last matches of Nico Kovac, they had a, a cup tie against uh, Bochum, VfL Bochum, second division side, and they nearly lost it. So Dortmund was, uh, yeah, an emotional reaction, I would say, but um, really strong in terms of playing. I think they, when they beat Chelsea away three 0 that was really good style, a really good performance. And then they also got they got the the feeling we can we can go all the way in the Champions League and and, and the Bundesliga. Let, let me think. Uh, they had a good match, although it was a, a nil nil draw against Leipzig in February. For a long time, the only match they didn't win. But yeah, you can see uh, the development from from week to week, from month to month. And then uh, there was the break because of uh, Corona. But in February they were playing really strong. This was this was the first hint that could be that can rise something really really big. Yeah, I agree with you. I think actually that that Chelsea performance in a strange way marked Bayern's peak. I don't think they ever actually got back to quite the same level after the break when they had one or two injuries. Thiago was less of a factor after that. Um, but it was still enough to win every single game left in in the league uh, and uh, in the Champions League and the Cup as well as they went to that treble. I, I just want to jump back quickly once again to something that Flick was perhaps fortunate to inherit, if you will. There were a few things changing even before he took over, or a few things happening that he benefited from. I think one of them was the transformation of Robert Lewandowski. I remember speaking to a Bayern official in October and he was saying that Lewandowski is, is, is a new player. Um, of course, on the pitch, everyone knows what, what he can do, how good he is, but that he was much more socially minded, that he was spending time with some of the young players, helping them finishing practice after the normal um, time on the pitch in training, that he was spending less time on his phone, being you know more of a, of a voice in the dressing room. When did you notice all these things? If if indeed you you picked up on that, but I'm sure you did, being you know being so close to the club. You're absolutely right, and you said he inherited um, Hansi Flick inherited some advantages because uh, it was Niko Kovac. One of the good things, don't forget to mention, he he also did some good things. Uh, he appointed um, Lewandowski as the third captain. So there's Manuel Neuer. The captain, vice captain Thomas Müller, and Robert Lewandowski, who always was uh, like playing on his own uh, in a group of players. He was like the 
playing just for himself and uh, got angry on the pitch if he couldn't score the the four or five one then he left the pitch uh, in anger yeah as a as a third captain suddenly he, he changed uh, the way he he was addressing to to the players as you mentioned even even to the media uh, he was talking more he was not just talking about uh, his goals so about the, the whole team performance and i think um then he also realized that's the second point he also realized that it's not going to happen that he's going to get his wish done to uh, to go to real madrid he desperately wanted it for so many years and maybe suddenly he realized okay i have a contract they won't let me go and now i can do the best here with bayern munich and and uh, his his wish his, his big aim was to win the champions league and to to be crowned best player of europe of the world and he, he always thought i just can't can't do it when i am in this real madrid dress and maybe he realized there's there's a new style of play there's a, a new atmosphere in the group so uh, we can do it with bayern munich i can achieve all my goals with bayern munich and that completely changed him i think that that was very noticeable and Karl-Heinz rummenigge was just saying the other day that he spoke to Lewandowski after uh, Bayern had won the trophy in Lisbon and Lewandowski, you know, was very happy cradling the trophy like a, like a newborn child. And Rummenigge came up to him <laughs> and said, you see, you see, I told you you could do it at Bayern. And apparently Lewandowski was already talking about next season, what they had to do to repeat that. So his ambition uh, shining through. Another thing we really should give Kovac credit for was the discovery, or if you will, the promotion of Alfonso Davis um, mm. to a left back berth. Davis had had real problems getting into the Bayern team. There were some pretty negative comments about the way he was unable to put his crosses in in training. He looked a little bit uh, clumsy. A lot of pace, but not a lot of control and end product. But playing him as a left back now looks like a, a an absolute masterstroke from Kovac in hindsight, doesn't it? Yeah, he's such a, a pace and a speed. It's it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's a perfect position for him. I wasn't sure. I remember talking to uh, Hasan Salihamidzic. Uh, I think that was uh, after even after the Chelsea match in February where Alfonso Davis had one of his best performances, if you remember. He was so outstanding. And then Salihamidzic, uh, he was, of course, very, very happy because this is one of his his deals when he was uh, yeah, finding uh, Alfonso, this talent in Canada, getting him to Bayern, to Europe for just 10 million, 10 million euro, I think, uh, altogether. So, uh, yeah, not, not, not very expensive for, for such a guy. And Salihamidzic uh, told us that was a long-term plan uh, to have this this um, left wing forward uh, playing back in in defense um, in yeah in in some years when he have to de to develop. So yeah, I wasn't so sure if Salihamidzic was just uh, <laughs> uh, putting it on his shoulders, uh, like saying. I was so clever and we we watched him and we were sure he's going to do very good in defense as well. But yeah, Kovac uh, tried it. I think that was what, in the last weeks of his job uh, back in, in autumn 2019. And uh, yeah, Davis was so convincingly strong that that click 
had no chance to 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 do it the other way. Um, but yeah, um, that was Nico Kovac. Maybe Salihamidzic told him, "Let's just try it now." What we were talking about to do it in 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 a year or something, and uh, yeah, it succeeded. It certainly did. I mean, Bayern seemed to have so much energy all of a sudden. The team that had looked so desperately poor on inspiration, on, on quality, on creativity just a few months before when they were knocked out by Liverpool in the Champions League uh, last 16, uh, you know, 10, nine months later was, was playing some unbelievable stuff. And I think the flick effect was perhaps most pronounced when it comes to Thomas Müller, or maybe it's a case of cause and effect that Thomas Müller made the flick effect seem very positive. Uh, certainly the both of them seem to combine into lifting Bayern back to another level. I think it was very noticeable how Müller, having been on the fringes and having almost been written off maybe as somebody who had his best years behind him, suddenly became perhaps the most important player for this Bayern team once more. Maybe not so much in terms of the goals, because Lewandowski will you know, always be number one, but how he led the team. Um, and then I think it was perhaps even more noticeable after Corona, when suddenly you needed perhaps that extra bit of intrinsic motivation uh, without mm -hmm. the crowd, without the tension and the atmosphere. And Müller seemed to come really to the fore at that point. And uh, it was also Hansi Flick uh, always always saying and pointing out that Thomas Müller, and he he really said it like that, he is my assistant coach on the pitch. I don't think many coaches say that because it's, it seems they're, they're taking away something from themselves, you know what I mean? That, that he really... He really said it many times, Thomas Müller, the assistant coach, uh, running on the pitch, uh, talking to the players, saying what they what they have to do, and um, yeah, when suddenly when you had matches behind closed doors, you can hear it. Like Thomas Müller is is really motivating the players, like shouting to them where they have to pass the ball, where they have to run, and. Um, yeah, he's he's so incredibly important for this team and in this period of time. So, um, yeah, he's he's one of the keys to to Bayern's success in 2020, definitely. Yeah, and I think especially in, in empty stadiums when you can really hear Radio Müller, his his nickname, <laughs> yeah. uh, broadcasting uh, non-stop, coaching his yeah. teammates. You know, being kind of the trigger up front when it comes to pressing. I think his importance cannot be cannot be overstated but it, it seemed to be just part of a very well functioning team you look at throughout the side and Bayern had no obvious weak points uh, Jerome Boateng came back to have a really strong second half of the season Benjamin Pavard on the right was very very solid and when he got injured uh, at the latter stages of the Champions League uh, Joshua Kimmich dropped back to that position and Goretzka and Thiago were, were absolutely fine in midfield uh, without him. A great combination up front. Serge Gnabry had another really good season, very productive. And Kingsley Coman really came to the next level, I think, at last. Finding the consistency and the, and the quality in the finish that um, perhaps had been a little bit intermittent in recent years. So it all came together. And I think it all came together uh, at its most 
telling and uh, sort of mo most eye-catching in, in its most eye-catching fashion in that infamous A2 win over Barcelona. Now, Patrick, you covered Germany when they won the World Cup in Brazil and uh, you were at that semi-final against Brazil, the 7-1. Did you kind of feel similar emotions and a similar sense of disbelief of what was happening at that moment in time yeah of course but i think brazil in belo horizonte was a little bit different because um in in the champions league this this last summer in lisbon bayern they, they were favorites against barcelona because everybody knew before that Barcelona is not really having a good time. It, it was just the big name as a club and Lionel Messi on the pitch and and, and uh, a quite good squad, but not really playing well. So Bayern was, they were the favorites and they, they were quite confident to go through. But uh, yeah, before the match, maybe you, you thought it's going to be a 2-0 or 3-1. But normally they they should do it their favorites, and back in 2014 in, in Brazil, um, of course uh, they were playing without Neymar, but it was a, a World Cup semi-final, and you you never know what's going to happen with all the emotions of the crowd in, in Belo Horizonte. Um, but when the the match developed, they yeah we can we could all see it. The Brazil was just uh, collapsing. The whole team was collapsing. And that was even in the first half, if you remember. And and I think Barcelona was really collapsing in the second half in that match against Bayern. Um, then they had some goals in the last uh, couple of minutes to, to make the result even higher. To me, it was a big surprise to see them score eight goals against Marc-André Stegen, the, the rival keeper of Manuel Neuer. But uh, it was quite obvious that they should win this match. Well, yeah, Neuer is a player that we haven't mentioned. He really came back to his best as well in, in 2019, 2020 and beyond. Um, another player who'd been somewhat written off or perhaps underestimated after um, a difficult couple of years with injuries and, and the World Cup in, in Russia really not going according to plan, which was a bit of a shadow over this, over this Bayern team because so many of them were involved. I just want to quickly talk about Thiago as well, uh, Patrick. You will know better than others that he has not always been the most appreciated player in Munich. Do you think now that he's gone and that Bayern were led to, to the trouble with some pretty huge influence from him, in my view at least, that... Um, views have changed and people perhaps look at him a little bit differently, even those who, who perhaps didn't quite rate him as highly. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I, mean, I also did, I think. Of course, now, uh, for all the time, for all the, the years coming, um, you will remember Thiago being one of the key players of this treble team, treble winning team. Um, but he was very much criticized and uh, some people were very impatient with him. I think he, he was not always, of course, he was not always on his best. And um, yeah, with Nico Kovac, it was also a, a bit difficult. We were talking about this before here because uh, Thiago uh, always wants to have the ball. He wants to dominate a, a game. He wants uh, 
to create chances and and with Nico Kovac uh, st stepping back the whole team uh, and waiting for for the opponent uh, that was not Thiago's uh, way of style and way of play so Thiago came with Pep Guardiola in 2013 and uh, it was his dream, it was Bayern's big dream to win the Champions League and uh, it took, took him seven years and there were seven difficult years with a lot of injuries, with long-term injuries as well. Um, and in two, I remember two years ago and one year ago, uh, some critics and, and some uh, fans and media, they were all say, Thiago, uh, Thiago's time is over, so so let's someone else to take over in midfield, like uh, Goretzka and Kimmich, and and yeah, I think it was also Hansi Flick's achievement uh, to to put him back uh, to his full strength, uh, to to tell him he's, he's he's going to be so important for him and his team, even if there were rumors uh, from. Uh, Say, say to me, I can't really remember, it was about one year that Liverpool was going to try to get him for summer 2020. So, um, yeah, even in his, in his last year at Bayern, he, he made some of his best performances. And, and that's also, we have to give this credit also to Hansi Flick. Absolutely. And another credit we have to give him for is to coach this Bayern team and motivate them in a different way than previous Bayern teams winning the Champions League have been motivated um, for those who perhaps don't follow the club so closely, the 2001 Champions League win, league win was always being seen as a almost a logical consequence of the trauma of 1999. And the team rallied behind Obmer Hitzfeld and just through sheer force of, of will, when they were probably past their best as a football side, managed to get over the line two years later. And a similar story, of course, replayed itself in 2013 when they managed to take the even perhaps more traumatic events of the 2012 final defeat by Chelsea and make that into a positive uh, motivational force, really having a procession almost to the end uh, until they, they met a Dortmund team that could have easily beaten them in the final at Wembley, but ultimately they, they triumphed. This time around, there was no such backstory, if you will. And Bayern just managed to maintain its level and deal with its problems better than anyone else in, in Europe, even though I think PSG pushed them pretty close and perhaps on another day also could have won the final. Yeah, that's true. But there's something that comes into my mind right now talking to you. Uh, I made this story uh, in the beginning uh, of this uh, little uh, Champions League tournament in, in Lisbon. What could be one of the, the key reasons for Bayern's success? I looked at every coach. There were these eight teams in this uh, final knockout tournament. And Hansi Flick was the only coach who had some experience in tournaments like a World Cup or a European Championship. All the other coaches, there were club coaches so they were just used to uh, a normal season but not really used to to a, a tournament this is something really different i think when you go to a turn to a knockout tournament and you have your your team together like they they did in lisbon for two weeks if, if things go well and and flick knew these kind of situations 
um, what do I have to do with my team? What do I have to tell them? Uh, what what is with the the players? They're not playing on the bench. How do I have to talk to them? And that was really important, I think, um, that he was going through these experiences in some tournaments alongside with uh, Yogi Löw and the and the German team. And you also have to to keep in mind that uh, Manuel Neuer, Thomas Müller, Jerome Boateng, who else? Who did I forget? They always they were with him in 2014 in Brazil, so they they also knew uh, this special yeah atmosphere of a of a tournament, and uh, I think that that was even very important for Bayern. A bit a bit of luck, of course, that they had Flick to a point as a new coach, but but it was a big advantage for them. Yeah, I think it's an ex excellent point. Um, Flick knew how to manage the situation and the team very well in these rather strange circumstances and we all know how how things panned out the question is now patrick can bayern do something that they have never done before well let me rephrase this can bayern do something that they haven't done since the mid-70s which is to <laughs> defend the trophy and maybe become part of a bit of an era um on the face of it, you would say yes, because a lot of clubs seem to be still in transition, having trouble, having problems. Bayern seem to be more settled. On the other hand, you can't help but notice that they look very, very tired at the moment. They haven't had the same sense of fluidity in the team. I think Thiago's departure has made them a little bit more direct, but also a little bit more less controlled and not being able to manage games as well on the ball, which then, you know, even makes it more difficult to conserve energy and they have to work very hard for their wins at the moment. Will things, you think, settle down and improve when they get one or two injured players back after that mini break? Or will that playing style for Bayern ultimately be a little bit too tiring in this crazy season for them to... To repeat their triumph. Yeah, you just mentioned the, uh, the mini break. I think uh, this year they have, for the first time, they have to deal with uh, a kind of. Uh, they don't have really have a winter break. They just have eight days off. They'll, they'll be back in training on December 29. I can't remember that in all the 20 years I've been working uh, as a journalist around Bayern Munich. So they were always. Uh, uh, starting the the winter preparation uh, in in the first week of January, and then they had like ten days or two weeks uh, to prepare for the first match. So now they just go out of uh, a little relax time and start again on the third of January against Mainz. So that will be interesting to see how Flick uh, is going to deal with that problem. So there's no real break for for body and soul so um, the, the English teams are used to it but um, yeah I think Flick can also uh, manage that he, he's also capable of, of, of managing that and giving some players a rest in the Bundesliga uh, it, it's, it's getting important again when they face Lazio in, in the Champions League uh, quite a easy, an easy draw I think uh, to go through and and you were asking about uh, winning winning the Champions League title again. You can't really 
uh, I think you can't really make a plan to win the title because it's it's down to to the drawing for for the next rounds. Then, but yeah, who else sh should be there? Uh, maybe Liverpool, maybe Manchester City, and Pep Guardiola on on one of his 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 new attempts and maybe one of his last attempts. I don't know. But speaking now, Bayern are favourites maybe with, uh, with with Liverpool and all the other big names. Uh, don't look really solid, so they can do it, but you can't really plan it. So, and also Flick could be the right guy to do it again. Why not? Why not? Indeed. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about players that you're excited to watch in 2021. Uh, Jamal Musiala is coming through. He's looks very, very exciting in a almost kind of a Mehmet Scholl role um, as a number ten at times. Uh, really cultured on the ball. Uh, perhaps not the strongest of players physically, but on the ball, uh, very, very influential already. Uh, the same cannot quite be said for Leroy Sané, who's struggling a little bit. How do you think things will pan out for him? And uh, who else, apart from Amaziala, who I'm sure you admire just as I, as I do, are you looking forward to see wearing the Bayern shirt next year? And talking about Musiala, I, I really have to tell you, I just wait for one mistake he's doing on the pitch. All the matches I've seen in all the recent weeks, where he was not playing all the matches and not uh, the full time, um, but he, when he gets into trouble on the pitch, he always has the right solution. He's, he's not doing any mistake. So, um, yeah, he, he, should, he should try to shoot more often, as always Thomas Müller shouts on him, and try to score more goals. But he's so an impressive player. Um, he's, 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 uh, when you when you talk to Hansi Flick, uh, he's, he doesn't really want to tell the people and the media that Musiala is so strong. So he always said, "Be calm and and just wait and see." And uh, but you can read between the lines that uh, uh, Musiala is is going to to be a permanent starter in one or two years in in this team. Um, the question is, who's going out then? But that's another. Another uh, luxury problem, as you can say. Yeah, and talking about Leroy Sané, he he has to change a little bit. Uh, he has to change his his manner, his, his his style of play. It's it's quite hard to get into that into that team. Um, we were talking about uh, Serge Gnabry and Kingsley Coman, who have developed to doing so well. Yeah, Sané is. When when he was coming from the bench, he did some some good things. I think uh, four goals in in four out of his five goals he was doing when he was coming on as a substitute. But Karl-Heinz Rummenigge said he hasn't really learned to to adopt the DNA of Bayern Munich, which is yeah, it's quite difficult to to adopt it in just half a year. And it's it's also a little bit of an ab abstract thing, but. Um, Maybe it's just when when he's he's scoring more goals, being more influential on the pitch, uh, then then he will grow. And Carlos Rummenigge will say in in one year he's he's a Bayern Munich player now. Maybe it's just a matter of of goals. But yeah, it's not going to be easy for Leroy Sané um, to find his place. Um, there's Thomas Müller, there's Robert Lewandowski, there's Gnabry and Coman. So. Uh, maybe when when they uh, they change players and rotate, and maybe then he he gets some minutes, but it's going to be difficult for him. Uh, it's 
going to be a difficult year, but uh, yeah, maybe things change. You never know. Uh, are all the players uh, from summer on staying in the club? You never know. Kingsley Command, will there be a, a big, uh, another big club trying to get him and, and maybe uh, PSG or something? So, uh, yeah, you never know. But um, I'm really keen on seeing uh, Jamal Musiala playing again. And that's also a problem for Leroy Sané because uh, he, <laughs> he developed so well. So not, not really space in the team for Sané in the moment. Yeah, that will certainly be one of the uh, big stories in Munich, whether Leroy Sané will manage, as you said, to develop that uh, Bayern DNA. Um, perhaps the situation not quite as bad as it's made out when you look at his... His numbers, uh, which I did in a piece for The Athletic, but the perception is a problem. And as we know, perception is important, um, especially with his body language not being necessarily one of hard work and sweating and fighting. Finally, Patrick, before before I let you go, uh, what is what is the wider outlook for this Bayern side? Carlos Rummenig has also already said that um, they won't be able to make the kind of transfers that they have done in the past because of coronavirus. Uh, we still don't see any sign of fans returning this season. Will Bayern have to make sure that they keep existing players like Leon Goretzka, who they'll probably have to talk about a new contract, for example, and maybe Joshua Kimmich as well, rather than add real superstar power this summer? Yeah, you're right. I don't think they really have to to, to buy and spend uh, much money again um, this the next summer transfer market. But the only thing is they're going to have uh, some second thoughts about uh, the defense when David Alaba is leaving the club. And I'm quite sure what you can hear that he's uh, going to, to be a new Real Madrid player from July on. Um, he definitely wants uh, to leave the club and start a new chapter in Madrid. Um, yeah, then Bayern have to to ask themselves what we are going to do. There's Niklas Süle, who was not so solid and stable in all his matches. And then you have uh, Jerome Boateng, who will be out of contract. So the question would be, is, is Hansi Flick the man to, to persuade the, the Bayern uh, CEOs uh, to give him maybe one more year to have Boateng in the squad for one more year? But yeah. Who else is playing there? They have this new uh, talented guy from France, Tangin Yansu, but he was terribly injured two times, so just playing like 20 minutes. He's 18 years old. You can't put him there and say, uh, yeah, uh, all the best. <laughs> Try to, to perform uh, right now. So I think um, when Alaba is leaving, they will have to buy someone for the for the defense. Maybe Upamecano from uh, Leipzig um, but if you look at uh, the players up front all the players we were talking about um, and Musiala as a rising star so I don't think they will they will uh, they have to do uh, something on the transfer market and and with this team and if they manage to keep Goretzka and Kimmich um, I think they have a really bright future and they they can win more and more trophies over in the next years and and uh, let me just tell you this um they have the, the next possibility to to earn and win the trophy is in february 
with the, the club championship in Qatar and it was said that that uh, because this tournament was at in, in danger because of not all teams from all continents were able to be to have qualified because of the corona break and uh, FIFA was was uh, thinking maybe we we have to uh, this year maybe we can't do the tournament and and they they changed it from December to February and the Bayern players um, they went to Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and said, please call Gianni Infantino and please tell him we want to have this tournament, we want to win this trophy. So this little story shows us how determined and, and how desperate they are in this group to win any trophy they can, they can win in the next years. And knowing Bayern, there's a good chance that they might would win one or two of those trophies. Patrick, thank you so much Thanks for, for me. taking the time out to look back on Bayern's trouble-winning season and a little look towards what might happen in 2021. Uh, thank you, dear listener. That's the last part of this year, but we'll be back in early January when the Bundesliga resumes. Do tune in then. Until then, have a great time and a very happy new year. Bye-bye. <music>